can't tell if we're on the air or not. Okay, we've got another aftershock coming. I'm ready to go. I don't hear any uh, audio. I don't hear any audio. Okay. Okay. We're here in the Channel 4 newsroom, as you folks. There's no surprise for any folks this morning. We've been hit with a major earthquake. Right now, we're trying to basically gather some more information, trying to figure out where this has been centered. I'm not sure if we can take a look around that right now, but half the newsroom behind me has been disheveled. A lot of television monitors knocked off the shelves. Uh, basically, a lot of dust kicking around here. We're trying to figure out, again, where this uh, earthquake has been centered. It hit at about 4.34 this morning. Very sharp jolt. Right now, everybody seems to be scrambling. We're trying to figure out, again, where this was centered. I personally have a lot of concerns from my family. Hopefully, I don't know, Michelle, if you can hear this. Hope you don't care. Here comes another aftershock. Okay, third aftershock. This is a long one. This is still a script we're talking about, right, Wes? Yeah, well, I sort of think of it as a nightmare in progress. Well, in this nightmare in progress, then, does this thing have any weaknesses? Oh, well, it can be captured sometimes. Captured? How? Not by storytellers, of all things. I mean, every so often they imagine a story good enough to sort of the catch its essence, and then, for a while, it's held prisoner in the story. Like the genie in the bottle. Exactly. This will not exactly. be a campaign of half measures. But the problem comes when the story dies. No outcome. In a lot of ways, it can get too familiar to people or My fellow citizens, somebody waters it down to make it easier to our country and the world. It's so upsetting to society we'll that we'll find out right. We will pass through this time. What happens when the story dies? We carry on the evil set free. We will defend our freedom. We will bring freedom to others. And we will prevent it. May God bless our country. As we and know, all there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. This is What Dreams May Come, Part 4, The Final Chapter. So uh, Freddy did stay dead for at least three more years. So uh, we're moving on to a different thing, of course. 1994 is when we got Wes Craven's New Nightmare. The reintroduction of Freddy Krueger took kind of a a detour through the attempts to make the Freddy vs. Jason movie, which we've already talked about on the Friday the 13th show. But going back to 1987, uh, Paramount had been trying to get the rights to the Freddy Krueger to make a Freddy vs. Jason movie. New Line wasn't interested because the, the Freddy movies were outgrossing the Jason movies. But by the time we get to this point, the early 90s, Paramount had given up on the Friday movies. Sean Cunningham had uh, partnered with New Line to try to make Freddy vs. Jason happen. And they were moving in that direction in the early 90s when Wes Craven agreed to come back to do a new version of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And that suddenly took precedence and uh, Freddy vs. Jason was shelved uh, for the time being. 
So Wes Craven hadn't been totally out of the loop. He got a story credit on part three and Bob Shea had, had often been consulting him, had often been asking him for ideas before he would usually you know reject his ideas and move on with something else they'd been in communication at least uh, throughout much of these movies but now when craven agreed to come back to the table to write and direct got a good deal that he finally got a cut of some residuals and even a bit of merchandising which he was he was not touching that money before he signed the deal for new nightmare so he had good financial incentives and had an interesting idea that dates back to when they were in pre-production for part three when Bob Shea had originally come to Wes Craven for ideas, and he said that he wanted to do a, like a meta movie about making a Nightmare on Elm Street movie that is haunted by Freddy Krueger, and dusted that idea off to make it into what became Wes Craven's new nightmare in 1994. Very fiction story about the cast and uh, some crew members involved with, well, the original Nightmare on Elm Street making a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Heather Langenkamp is back, but now she's not playing Nancy. She's playing Heather Langenkamp. There's a lot of philosophical stuff that Wes Craven's bringing in. What I like about New Nightmare is that I think it picks up on a lot of the ideas from the first Nightmare from a different side, where if the first one is kind of about the trouble of trying to suppress these stories about dark and evil things as an attempt to protect the next generation or protect the people who did dark and evil things in the first place. New Nightmare is about the trouble with giving them a vehicle, giving them a conduit to exist. Horror movies are being looked at in that way of, is this kind of a healthy outlet, a way to help understand difficult dark things? Or are we giving people a vehicle that's going to bring dark evil things into their lives. So it's a horror movie filmmaker who's meditating on what it means to make horror movies, I think, directly. I mean, Wes Craven is directly there talking about it in the movie. You know, I've already talked about New Nightmare because when we did our favorite horror movies of the 1990s. The 90s? I had it as my favorite. I had it as my favorite as well, 494, though uh, In the Mouth of Madness gave it a run for its money. I think it works really well as a companion piece to A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it offers a heck of a lot. It's um, such a great love letter to its own series, which there's not many examples of that happening, where a film gets to honor itself, not even parody itself, but like so many other films will get tributes to themselves, but it's, you know, within the same canon. Uh, It also gets to be a little bit of a preview for uh, Scream, Two years later, where Wes Craven delves heavily into the rules of horror cinema and the rules of his own films. There's a lot of different uh, layers to it. Like, it's such a layered film, and I love the fact that there is an interesting bit of real-life meta coincidence in the film with the earthquakes. The fact that they had written earthquakes into the screenplay, and then during production, this earthquakes actually happened and then the shots of the earthquake damage are real for it so there's this quite almost spooky level of self-referential meta horror going on where Wes Craven wrote something into this screenplay that actually happened that is a movie about him writing a screenplay about things that actually happen so that they happen in a movie so that things in real life can no longer happen 
front wheel of the movie. It's also like predicting earthquakes <laughs> in Los Angeles, though. Well, I mean, <laughs> but there's still, I, yeah. yeah, but to that. They went end, out and shot B-roll of the actual earthquake to use in the movie after yeah, it happened. Yeah, like to that level of effect is still pretty, like, I don't believe for a second in there actually being anything outside of it being a coincidence. Like, I am not that superstitious nor spiritual, but I do think it is fascinating and just cool. Also, I think the earthquake thing, it kind of calls back to a line of dialogue we have in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, where um, I think it's uh, Glenn Johnny Depp's character who says, uh, in reference to the way people are having spooky dreams, like, maybe there's an earthquake coming up. You know, like how animals mm-hmm. react oh, to when an earthquake's coming yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this reference to the idea of, of the earthquake of being some big event that we can sense, but that we don't know about. We don't consciously know about it, but on some level, we're sensing it. And the way that the movie references these dark forces that are things that we can sense but we don't really have the language or the way to discuss them and that the way that movies create concepts and stories that let us interact with them is that helping us protect ourselves is that giving us preparation and armor or is that providing a conduit i mentioned in the other podcast but i love the line on the radio where you just she turns on the radio and you hear the line there might be an unknown fault running beneath los angeles and this the sense of the movie that like what if we fucked up what if by making these movies we've opened some door to some dark thing that we wouldn't have been in touch with if we hadn't been probing it mm-hmm. that kind of anxiety about what are we doing like what are we doing yeah. making these horror movies yeah it's very true like it, it does play on the whole idea of just as the way that america itself has been building itself and it's like, well, you know, this should be fine. Like, we could build these types of things here because it should be fine. And then coastal disasters happen. Fault line, our earthquake, hurricane disasters start happening in areas where every single person said, like, oh, it should be fine. Sure, we could have a metropolitan city the size of Detroit right on this coast here. It can sit on stilts. It should be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that it's exactly an allegory for America itself, but there's certainly a little bit of a sentiment about how have we kind of poked the bear a little bit? Have we kind of evil can eviled our way into a bad situation? Yeah. Hmm. We created a creepy revenant child killer and suddenly yeah. he's a pop culture icon rapping. Did we fuck up? <laughs> Was this a good thing? Was it a bad thing? <laughs> I like that it's a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but it's not really a Freddy Krueger movie. I think we're more than an hour in before Freddy Krueger really shows up. And I like that. Well, like it's... the intro... He's in there right away. The glove kills a couple people, right? Yeah. He's Earlier. in there right away. The glove does. The disembodied glove. Which glove is, oh is man, Freddy I love too. that scene. The scene where that glove kills people is amazing. That counts as the entity because it's established that it's yeah. this spiritual... But they blamed it on what? Electronics or... Well, it's my favorite sloppy language joke uh, early on in the whole film, too, right? Mm. Dream Dad tells Dream Son that it's state-of-the-art animaltronic bull tendons from a live Doberman. (laughs) But what he's really hearing is it's animatronic. Yeah. But it's like it's your first clue that you're listening to a kid's version of a dream. Animaltronic bull tendons. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like numerous times throughout that particular film, if you listen, it's like somebody's bad interpretation of dream puns. Mm. REM playing when the father dies, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> State of the art animatronics, live nerve bundles from a Doberman. 
fucking sense at all. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> Little moments like that, especially during dream sequences, they've set up these rubber lamps so the lamps are swaying back and forward while Nancy while Heather is sleeping. Oh yeah. That scene when uh, the glove rips along the sheet next to her. Mm-hmm. You actually look the bedside table lamps are dancing back and forward because mm. they're made out of rubber. Nice. And being That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, fun movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The kid sucks. Hey, yeah. he's great. He was great in Pet Cemetery. <laughs> no, he, he, he's not great in anything. He sucks. His Freddy voice is obnoxious. I Everything. Miko Hughes. <laughs> Everything about that kid sucks in this movie. I do think the fact that it's structured around like a save the kid, protect the kid plot yeah. line is like the weakest part of the movie. The kid, the, him being in traffic, being lifted up and out of traffic is not like a super. Yeah, they are like the least interesting parts um, for some reason. Like even though yeah. they can be the most bombastic, they're the least interesting parts. He's the least in danger. It's all just to keep her interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about yeah, the kid. We care about her. And of all things, something the thing that bugged me about this movie and not much bugged me about it. It's great. It's outstanding. There's something about the ultra defined Freddy makeup that I, I all I could. S- I like the look of them. I thought he looked cool. The burn I, marks. He's totally split apart, but it's just muscles. like, like they're so like fastened into like exactly as they are. There's nothing naturalistic about it, which in and of itself is not exactly bad, but to this day, for some reason, I don't know if it's just the time that I saw it or when it was coming out, but I kept thinking about how, the moldings of Batman's costume evolved. Does everyone know what I'm talking about? Where it's like almost like you think like early Freddy to that point where it becomes ultra defined and almost like a caricature. You're talking about Batman's rib cage and his yeah, muscles. It's like all exactly and where his the, nipples on like the, the molding becomes actually more anatomically correct when it's like no one asked for that. And you get mm-hmm. a little bit of this Freddy who it's like he has a face that is clearly not a burn victim. He is just an archetype of Freddy itself. It's not. It's makeup. not a person who's missing pieces. It's a no. weird shape. The makeup doesn't reflect what's happened to the character. The makeup is meant to reflect the collective nightmare that has been conjured. Which in yeah, in the cinema in the film I get and I totally like. But there's something distracting about it where it's like, okay, we've got the Freddy face, but we're going to add a little bit more better quality rubber to it. I don't know why I'm I'm just bringing it up because maybe I'm the only person on Earth that bitches about that and that's that's my one unique point i have to offer <laughs> good for you yeah thank you <laughs> stand by it <laughs> i stand by you stand by it oh i appreciate that cheers uh, there's some solidarity here yeah i have uh, written down kid sucks and that's all i have written down <laughs> yeah uh, scott what are your thoughts on new nightmare i'm not done with my thoughts yet okay yeah, you're done with your thoughts. New <laughs> Nightmare is my second favorite of the Nightmare <laughs> movies. My ranking goes 1, 7, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. I love New Nightmare for the meta reference. Let's just do a complete rhyming sequel to the first one. <laughs> the people need some sampling of the whole franchise to get an appreciation for what the seventh one is doing, but what it's doing is pretty great. Love Heather Langenkamp, so... This kind of bookending the series with her playing herself, playing herself. And John Saxon's back too, right? John was back, yeah. Yeah, John yeah. Was playing both himself and the character in a way. Same with Nick Corey showing up for 30 at the seconds. Funeral. Oh, right. Showing up at the funeral. Oh, that was a cool scene. That was. Yeah. Very briefly. 
I love New Nightmare. It's got such sweet tone to it, and it has those little Hollywood movie-making moments, little references to a current affair when it talks about the deaths of the uh, special effects artists. Like, it's very much locked in its era. To watch New Nightmares to see what cable TV looked like in 1994. Yes. And, like, you'll never unsee that. The yep. shoulder pads mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. and the shitty clothing. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% true. No, I, I definitely love New Nightmare. And I love the references that I made tying, like, Nightmare to Hansel and Gretel and doing its, like, yeah. meta story type of analysis to it. It's Wes Craven getting a little bit over the top and making the full use of his college degrees, comparing <laughs> yeah. something he wrote about a child molester to Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> but uh, no, it's my second favorite nightmare overall for the way it ties into the first. Mm. I find it slightly boring. Also, Heather Langenkamp is hot. Did I mention that? Like, She's a delightful person. She's in this interesting little pocket of like there's Jeanette Goldstein and Linda Hamilton and Heather who I've had the good fortune of coming across at these conventions across Canada. You're talking about random women with giant brown hair. They just, that. Yeah, they, they're just <laughs> graying, curly haired, and they're just lovely moms. They're just lovely, nice people. Was that, he was plugging himself there, wasn't he? No, I'm just saying. Will was talking about himself there, wasn't saying he? Yeah. It can only add an extra layer of watching the movie and thinking like, you know what? That's a nice person. Everybody give Will a big high five for going to some conventions. I love the movie. And I don't think, like, even if you don't watch any of the other movies, I think if you just watch the first Nightmare and New Nightmare uh, back to back, they they complement each other really beautifully. Yeah. Um, Yep. (laughs) It's my, my number two as well. What do you have right? List them off, Dylan. What uh, so my, uh, number one is uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Number two is okay. New Nightmare. Number three is uh, Nightmare Two. And then four, and then yeah, yeah. Then my number three is four. Uh, my number three. four is three, and then I have number five, and then I have Freddy's Dead in last place. What about you, Sheldon? I'm gonna slip number seven in fourth. So I have three, one, six, seven. Then so four. you have it behind six. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Number six isn't boring. I find number seven a little boring. It's close, though. I just made that up right now. I just flipped it on my paper. All right. And then four, and then two, and then five. So I have three, one, six, seven, four, two, five. Nine. Kicking off with one. No surprises there. So I get one. Then New Nightmare. Then uh, Nightmare 3. Nightmare 2. Nightmare 4, 5, 6. All right. You have six behind five? Are you insane? Probably. Okay. I mean, we all have six behind five except for you. Yeah. Oh. We all do. <laughs> I'm insane. <laughs> So, uh, New Nightmare was kind of a bomb at the box office. It was a uh, it was a pretty pricey movie to make that did very poorly. So, kind of killed off the the Freddy Krueger movies for a while. So, uh, the next time we see Freddy Krueger is in a movie that's uh, already been on the show. Ooh, we see him at the very very end of Jason Nine. <laughs> I'm just gonna quickly see Scott's gonna go out and rest for his class, and then I'll be right back. See you guys. Thanks for having me. You're leaving before the two best movies? That's right. I have to give a lecture tomorrow. Lucky, lucky you. Good, now we can just skip over these last two movies.
That's what you think. <laughs> oh, no. Yes, we've covered Freddy versus Jason before since we've done the Friday the 13th movies. So we'll uh, do it pretty quickly, I think, uh, for that reason. Just sub it in. We'll try to do it from the perspective of the Nightmare movies instead of from the perspective of the Friday movies. We are in 2003... Ronnie Yu, director, Hong Kong action horror director who came to America and did uh, Bride of Chucky first before doing this. That movie sucks, too. I think Will's a noted fan of Bride of Chucky. Uh, I have a sentimental spot for it. Script credited to Damien Shannon and Mark Swift, uh, which was heavily rewritten, apparently, by an uncredited David S. Goyer. We're returning in a lot of ways, I think, to the themes of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. We're back to the parents are hiding something from the children. I think it's a little even more extreme version of the parents hiding things from their children, but actually hiding things to protect themselves. Because you've got like, there's like a wing in the hospital where there's kids in comas because they gave them too much hypnosil. You know, they're they're literally trying to suppress Mm -hmm. the dreams of the kids in this movie in an even more like sinister and intense way. Which uh, brings us into the the political climates. It's early George W. Bush, post 9-11 movie. And the movie invites that comparison because they notably have like a portrait of George W. Bush when the cop is being like, we do things this way and and you don't question it. So I think we're reaching back to the original Lightbear themes, bring them to the present moment. There's this strong theme of this horrible thing has happened but the parents want to tell the kids that it it was just a random these are random acts of violence they don't want them to know about this thorny history of their involvement with the murder of fred krueger and their involvement with suppressing the dreams of the children the generational clash is back in a big way you know i mentioned in the last episode i didn't get many people agreeing with me but i kind of like this movie i think it's pretty uh you did didn't you i did like this movie and i still do how? Um, Go into it. I, I mean, I, I already did. I like those themes. I like those ideas. I like that it's very of its moment. The way that I'm kind of sympathetic to Nightmare on Elm Street 4 because it's like a really teen culture in 1988. Awful. Like really MTV era, exuberant nihilist, Dutch angles, quick cuts, Max Headroom, Diet Coke. You know, horror <laughs> movies often are a really great snapshot of a specific time in Freddy vs. Jason Great snapshot of 2003. I kind of like the the Wiley Coyote hijinks that happened in the end with Freddy Krueger just like hanging upside down and like getting knocked around a construction site and stuff. It's silly, but I think the themes are kind of decent and they reach back to what the original Nightmare was doing. I enjoy it. Good, Sheldon. You uh, you just hate. I it, hate right? this movie. You know, I hate it so much because they had so much. When you read about it now, all the scripts coming in. Like the treatments they had, and they picked this one. Yeah, this one's stupid. Doesn't make sense. Jason was never afraid of water. It's a stupid <laughs> thing. That's dumb. Like, and it was there was too much bullshit CGI in this movie to make it fun at all. It's an inevitable, I think, that the first CGI era Freddy Krueger movie overuses CGI. Like, of course it would. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does. And there's lots of bullshit CGI. Totally. Yeah. Oh, last place. I put it last. Last place. Okay. Will, this movie is uh, fucking. This miserable From the perspective movie, of it miserable. as a Nightmare on Elm Street movie Ooh. and not a Friday the 13th movie. Oh, dear. Um, I had a hard time with this one because I put it, I recall in my Jason films, I had it above a couple of them. Like it was pretty low on the list, but I admit a certain fondness for the initial concept. And by that, I mean the very, very, very initial idea that. 
they no longer fear him because of the whole, you know, within the realm of nightmare, the rule that you are no longer affected by him if you no longer fear him or acknowledge him. I like them using that as the catalyst to bring Jason in. I thought that was a neat idea. How it was executed, a lot of bumps and bruises. But, uh, oh boy, I am, you know, I'm going to put it just ahead of six. What the hell? So second last. Second last. I might be wrong. The movie sucks. It doesn't. Su- yeah, but it's sitting amongst Number other movies. Number six is better sucks. than this. Sheldon, you, you, you put it in last, you said, right? Uh, last at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, giving my my certain fondness for it, I put it uh, ahead of uh, six, uh, ahead of five, uh, and ahead of three and four, and it'll How? stop wow. short of two. Jesus So uh, it'll Christ. be in number four position for me right now, beneath the original New Nightmare and Freddy's Revenge. In number two. Yeah. You're insane. Yeah. I, uh, I, I get it. it. You somehow like this. I mean, I like number six, so yeah. who, who knows yeah. anymore? No accounting for taste. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. There was a pretty big budget for Freddy versus Jason and a big publicity budget, and it made a good deal of money. It was a very popular movie, actually. But And then? And then, well, uh, despite that, it didn't really revive the the respective franchises. Both franchises would uh, make their most recent appearance in the same way, thanks to Platinum Dunes. Platinum Dunes is a production company founded by Michael Bay. It seems with the express purpose of just getting the IP to old like 70s, 80s classic horror movies and remaking them, because that's basically all they did at least at first is they uh they remade texas chainsaw massacre uh they remade the amityville horror they remade the hitcher they remade friday the 13th in 2009 i believe oh god and then after that in 2010 they remade a nightmare on elm street the last time we've seen a portrayal of freddy krueger the last nightmare movie was this Michael Bay produced Platinum Dunes Nightmare from 2010, directed by Samuel Bayer, still the only movie he's ever made, but a very prolific music (laughs) video director, done a lot of classic music videos. He did the music video for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh. Credited to Wesley Strick and uh, Eric Hayserer, who did the rewrite, Eric Hayserer, Hayserer. He's been nominated for the Oscar for writing Arrival more recently. Well, that was fun. That was Jodie Foster, right? No, you're thinking of Contact. This is Amy Adams. That's true. Kind of similar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rather similar. Jackie Earl Haley, as if he hadn't been enough typecast as creeps by this point, he becomes the new Freddy Krueger. Rooney Mara's first starring role was in this movie. Is that the mom? Is that who she is? No, that's the main girl. That's Nancy. Who the fuck that's... is the mom in this movie? I recognize uh, her. Oh, a Connie Britton. Um, she was an American Horror Story. Uh, oh, that's probably why then. Rooney Mara actually signed up to do multiple Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So <laughs> good luck with that after this movie. Well, now that she's kind of famous, I wonder if she just like lives in fear of Michael Bay just showing no. up like the Godfather yeah. one of these days. Just a spite obligation. Yeah, I can imagine her just being like, if they come back with a sequel in the name of Lyric Prince of Elves. Michael Bay, be gone! And then she runs at him with these green lasers and the fucking guy explodes or something. 
just booby trapping her house the way that Nancy in the original movie booby traps her house to bring Freddy back just in case well, Michael Bay what? shows up. She's got a sledgehammer above the I door. I forgot and... to bring that up. That's really dumb. <laughs> like the, the movie isn't very good. Which one? Which movie are you talking Nightmare about? Nightmare on Elsie 1. I mean, I think we ever agreed that it is. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to move it down because you just remind me of that booby trap scene. That is the thing that I feel like people keep forgetting about that movie. Like, the thing is, the only you don't thing remember, I remember the Home Alone shit. You I remember the dumb ending, but I forget about the booby trap. So I'm going to go uh, three, uh, six. Okay, we're, we're stopping it. We're going to get short. This is over. <laughs> three, six, seven, and then one. Uh, all right, we're going to do our final rankings in just oh, a wait, second. Okay, I'm all mixed up Yeah, now. <laughs> You tricked me with that booby trap scene. All right, and then Burn Elm Street 2010. We're back on this again, eh? We haven't even started. Okay, look, we I watched this last night. I was just last night, first time I've ever seen Me too. it. I watched it two nights ago. Yeah, never seen it before. And honestly, this is a fantastic film. Like, really, the, the craft, the ideas, it's... How it's, do I exit this thing? Nah, it, it, it's awful. I fucking hate oh, it. Oh, this, <laughs> this thing fucking sucks. <laughs> it's... uh. <laughs> I, I might have even liked it less than I liked the Friday the Thirteenth remake, which I which I hated. Oof. It's I can't, uh, I can't decide yet. Like I'll never watch either of these again ever in my life. Yeah, never. the thing that that Friday the Thirteenth had going against it was it was even more cruel. But the Nightmare remake but was the, barely even a slasher movie and barely even a dream movie. It was like just no. It was they, well, for one they rehashed it's like an it, episode of re- a TV show. It was this guy might be a killer, he might not be, or he might be a child predator might not be oh he is yeah Perfect. i guess that we'll was one thing they brought in that was different was the kind of tension about was he actually innocent or was he no, not but then they ruined it by saying he actually was yeah like if they didn't oh. say it at all yeah it was a very just... fleeting thing that he might be innocent yeah yeah like that was one interesting element the only like thematic element that was the one thing that they brought that's like oh that could be interesting but then mm-hmm. no no it's just he's awful it's good that they killed him but then Mm-hmm. The one visual thing that they brought that was semi-interesting, and I had touched on it a little bit earlier about the whole idea of micro-sleeps and people coming in oh, and out fuck. and his power coming in and out. It's just the one sequence where he's walking up the hall of like a pharmacy or something. Yeah. And it keeps fading in and out of it being like the boiler room. That was the only... Oh, he's like whacking things off the shelves yeah. or something. But and you like know, that, Will, I, I also highlighted that as the one scene that I liked in the that's movie. That's the one, exactly. And that was the one like, scene I liked. Yeah. And it literally stands alone because the only other interesting things it did are carbon copies of previous yep. nightmare shots. And they weren't even as good. They were, they were worse no. somehow. No, they were just unnecessary reshots. The CGI they used was terrible. They used CGI on his face. Yeah. It, Clearly yeah, there's a lot of shots where you can tell they put a CGI filter on his face. He's not so even wearing stupid. a mask. He has like a not super convincing CGI filter on his face. Yeah. This movie sucks. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing. It's going last on my list for sure. Mm-hmm. It's going last on my list. It's the same with Friday. It's just like, even if some of these movies I think are bad, this is a movie that like is barely a movie. Like it feels like just mm-hmm. a product that was made. You know, it's an easy way to make money for Michael Bay and friends. And it, you feel that watching the movie. I do anyways. It's it's something that was assembled. It doesn't even have the fun of being like 
number four where they're like contending with a writer's strike and trying to throw shit together. Yeah. And you still actually have like creative people at the start of their career with very mixed results, just like frantically throwing shit together and you get something that still feels like a movie, like a weird movie, probably a bad movie. Yeah, like but, you know, it feels like a movie where this just feels like a product. And it's a shame because it offers there's, nothing. There's some truly wasted talent in it, but who cares? Like there's so many forgettable characters in it. A lot of the characters look like each other, mostly in the guys, but like, I mean, whatever his face is uh, playing Freddy, it's a shame because, I mean, yeah, he's, he's a really good actor. He's clearly a very talented guy, but he's quite stained now. He's yeah. the shit Freddy. Yeah, shit Freddy. Last, right. Yeah, last. Yep, dead last. Let's, uh, should we revise our lists? Sure. Just to recap? Okay, Sheldon, go first. Okay, three. Number one is, is three, Dream Warriors. Yep. And then I will go uh, six. All right, Freddy's dead. Yep, and then one. The one and third pole, okay. I think so, and then seven. All right, all right, all right. And then four. Dream Master five, in fifth position. Four, five, two. I'm going to flip those two because I just... Number five has a tiny bit of nostalgia for me where I can watch yeah. and have fun. Number two just has nothing for me. The seventh position is Nightmare 2. And yep. then... And then uh, Freddy vs. Jason, and then... The shit remake. Okay. All right. So my list is number one, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, number two, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, number three, uh, Nightmare Two, Freddy's Revenge. Number four, Freddy versus Jason. Give it a chance. It's a good movie. Number don't f- five. Is this right? Yeah. I have number four, The Dream Master. Uh, number six, I have uh, number three, Dream Warriors. I don't know how, uh, how can I like that? You're the worst. <laughs> uh, so I guess seven is, is part five, the dream child. Mm-hmm. Eight is then, uh, Freddy's dead being uh, part six and nine is the remake in last place. William still here. I am. Yes. Good. All right. So recap time. Well, I could do Scott's because I know he had said it, but I'll say it again for him. Let's recap his list. For Scott, it's a rather simple order. One, seven, and then two, three, four, five, six. Freddy vs. Jason, the remake that he doesn't wish to acknowledge and refuse to talk about. <laughs> All right. So yeah, it's I wish just I could do that. In order, except for New, New Nightmare, Nightmare shot is, is the second way up best. to number two. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Nightmare 1, Freddy Begins, Uh, New Nightmare as number 2, then I've got uh, Nightmare 2 sitting at the next spot. Actually, no, wait, I correct that. Let me start over. I didn't say all that. I wrote down what you have. I know exactly, and you made a mistake there. Yeah, I did. Okay. So. Number 3 had 3. Number 1, I've got Nightmare 1. Number two, I've got New Nightmare. For number three, I have number three. Yeah. The Dream do. Warriors. Then at number four, I have Nightmare 2, Freddy Resurrection. Then I'll have Nightmare 4, Nightmare 5. Then I've snuck in Freddy vs. Jason. To spice it up a little. Then Nightmare 6. And then even below the bottom, like We've already reached the bottom of the barrel, but under the barrel mm. where there's those little pill bug crustaceans and oh, centipedes. Oh, with a Halloween set. And a bunch of shit. 
lying in there. The Rob Zombie's movies also is the uh, yeah, yeah. remake. Yep. Yeah. Right at the bottom. Nice. Mm-hmm. We've been given a lot of reasons to not revisit a lot of remakes <laughs> in horror history. There's, there's a lot of good remakes. There's just these big ones. They just they, they can't know. do it. I could think of a couple. The wave of remakes that were in like the 2000s was was a pretty grim wave of remakes. Awful. Yeah. Oh, God. Black Christmas. Then we made it like 10 times. Yeah, you know? I was going to yeah. say which one. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. A Many times. Amityville horrors and Black Christmas and Halloweens and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. And... All right. Well, this is um, this is the last Mind Over Splatter. Mm. Now, part of the reason why I wanted to do this was to have one that's like officially the last. It's been a blast. I've, I've loved doing this. And I, and thank you guys so much for yeah, thank you doing for it with me. It. This has been uh, an exciting journey. Well, and, and thanks to everybody who's been listening to us. I really appreciate it. Everybody who's uh, made a comment or reached out or shared a link. I appreciate it. It's been a fun time for uh, this little little project that started in quarantine. I've enjoyed it. Enjoyed hanging out with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sheldon's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's, it's been okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's, let's... I've watched so many bad movies since it started. And so many good ones, right? Yeah, ones I knew were good. <laughs> you haven't discovered anything as a result of doing the show? No, not by I you feel, two. I feel like I have. I, you might have. I had to watch four purges. Worst experience of my life. You still haven't seen the fifth one? What? That's oh, good, man. There's, a, there's not another one, is there? Yeah, no, it's been a wild ride, and I don't know. I like to say it's, I don't think it's a saying goodbye. Let's just say it's ta-ta for now. Who knows what mind over Sprato might come in the future? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? I'm not, not shutting the door forever, but yeah. Yeah, leave it ajar. <laughs> like in the Irishman, just leave it a crack open. Sure. Yeah, yeah we'll come back and I'll be 75 and you'll plaster my 25-year-old face on me and you can see me try to beat up a guy by only kicking three inches away from me. All right. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Sheldon. Cheers. Thanks, Scott, who's surely sleeping it off somewhere. He's Yeah, he's somewhere in the streets. Okay, well, okay. Until next time, keep looking behind keep you. Keep looking behind you. Get back. Good night. <laughs>